All right, well, it's good to be back with you all. I was off for a couple weeks. Um, thank you for filling in for Adam Nagel, um, and then also Seth and uh, Dave. Appreciate you guys very much and what you had to share a couple weeks ago, so thank you for that. Um, our family had a good little break away, and on our time away, um, one of the things we did um, last weekend, actually, we had a family gathering in the Honeybrook area, and there's a little uh, farm there, and the back of the farm, I didn't know about this uh, until someone in our family reserved it, there's a, um, a pond and a big slide going into the pond and like a, a family or gathering place that you can rent, evidently. Um, I don't know if they want the public knowing about this. Anyway, um, and you can uh, have a place for a day to gather uh, as a large group. And when I, I'd never been there, but when I walked in there, what I noticed right away was that there was this huge slide going into this pond. It was about 30 or 40 feet high to climb up to the top of this slide. It was about four or five feet wide, and it was about 50 feet in length to get down to this pond, and it dropped you about six feet from the surface of the water, okay? So it takes a second to get up there, and it's a pretty big deal. Um, and so partway through the day, now what happened is because I was being lazy, I was just sitting there on the picnic bench under the covering, and the kids were in the pond, and there was, I don't know, 30 or 40 people there. One of our um, family members, we love him very much, um, strong young man, 19 years old, his name is Jake. And uh, he, years ago, has been diagnosed with autism. And we love Jake and what he does and what he brings to our family. And so he got up to the top of, our, of the slide, and Jake's voice carries super well. His sounds like mine right now with this microphone on, just regularly. And so I'm sitting there, and I hear across the pond, um, and I can see Jake, as he puts his goggles on to go down into the water, he said to his dad, like, Dad, can you come film me? Can you come over here and film me? And then he said, Dad, he's sitting there, sitting, on, uh, sitting down, about ready to go down the slide. He said, Dad, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would have fun and that it would be safe? And then he went down this slide, and he had an absolutely awesome time, absolutely awesome time. And he got into the water, and he got up, and he was so excited for the moment that just happened. And I sat there thinking, you know what, that was awesome. That was a beautiful gift to me and to, to everyone around here, and here's why. When I reflected on that, I'm like, you know what the truth is? What Jake just did for all of us was a beautiful gift. He put into words something that nobody else put into words, but everyone else actually felt. Every other kid who went up there wanted to have fun and wanted to be safe. But nobody said it. They just went down it. And some went down slowly based on their age and height, and some went up and came back down because they weren't ready to actually slide down the slide. But what he did in that moment was such a gift that he put into words something that everyone else felt, but no one else identified. And as I reflected on that, I'm like, you know what? Life is not unlike that slide. Do you ever feel like all of a sudden you're sliding into parenting? You're like, ah, I want this to be fun and safe, but I'm not sure it is. I'm sliding into education, and I want to have a good time. I don't want to fall off the slide. I'm going to come to the end, and I don't know what will be there. And I, I want it to be okay, and I want it to be safe, and I want it to be fun, but ah, will you help me? But you realize, because, because of how you, you go, you realize that all the people next to you who are on their own slides, none of them are verbalizing their fears. They just seem to be fine. And so I won't talk about it. I'll just go down my slide with internal angst and fear. 
And what Jake just did in that moment was say, you know what? I need help. I'm just going to say it right now. Would you pray for me? Because I want this ride of my life right now. I want it to be fun. And I need it to be safe. And he gave us a gift because not all of us can verbalize what we experience or what we need. And particularly for Jake in that moment, what he needed and what he knew is he needed, I want to talk about this this morning, he knew that he needed a rescuer. He needed a rescuer. He wanted someone to be around, Dad, will you come on over? In case this goes sideways, I need you to be here. Everyone else needed that too, but only Jake could put it into words. So this morning, this is exactly what I want to talk about, that it's really hard to see, and I believe this, that we need a rescuer. All of us need a rescuer. I'm going to push further in this. We need a rescuer daily. I want to talk this morning about what we learn in this prayer that Jesus gave us to make this point that we need a rescuer daily, but I would also contend that none of us put it to words daily. We just go down the slide. We don't ever say it, but we actually might need more than we realize. So I want to take you to our passage that we've been in in this series, Teach Us to Pray. Matthew chapter 6 is where we are. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, by the way. If you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible in the chair near you. It's our gift to you if you don't own one. Matthew 6, first book in the New Testament, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. Um, and Jesus is giving a prayer for the disciples to pray when they asked him, well, you know, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And here's what he said, beginning in verse 9. We're just going to pick it up. I'm going to read the whole prayer. It's one that many of you have memorized in different versions, but here it is in the NIV. This, then, is how you should pray, Jesus says. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Then he says this, and this is where we're going to focus this morning. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That last stanza is what I want to talk about this morning as we come near the end of this series on prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, the first part of that stanza is it's, it's an interesting irony. Jesus is saying that we should pray that God won't lead us into temptation. Now, we know in the scriptures, in James, we read there that God doesn't lead us to temptation. So this is kind of weird, like, what are you trying to say, Jesus? And at the same time in Matthew 4, we see a time when the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by Satan. So this is a strange paradox. Does God tempt you, or does he not? My understanding from the scriptures is that God does not tempt us in this way. But what he does, and what I think is happening here, is that all of the moments of life, no matter where we are, we have the opportunity for, to give in to temptation. I have the opportunity, even this morning, to be faithful or unfaithful, to be loving or unloving. At every turn, I have the opportunity to choose to do the right thing or not the right thing. There is constant temptation that we deal with. And I think what we're seeing here with Jesus is this idea that, God, you're going to lead me into all things in life. And in that, don't lead me into temptation in a way that I'm unable to bear. In 1 Corinthians 10, we read about that God will never bring a temptation that we can't have a way out of. Okay? So in this, Jesus is saying, I want you to pray to our Heavenly Father. Don't lead me into temptation. And it goes further, and he says, and deliver us, if you will, deliver us from the evil one. I think the two phrases have to be understood together. I don't think we can separate them too much. I don't think God tempts us, but he does lead us wherever we go. And wherever we go, 
we can be tempted by where we currently sit all the time in every way. And so he says, but deliver us. And here's where I get this idea of rescuer. To deliver is this idea of being rescued. That's why I'm saying I think we all need a rescuer. Now, deliver us, he says, from the evil one. Now, what does it mean um, when we think about this evil term? Now, I want to I ask you, don't, don't raise your hand, but just kind of think about this for a minute. When is the last time that you woke up and you decided, you know what, of all the things that I'm going to pray for today or this week, I need to be sure that I pray that I will be delivered from evil today. That's the first thing on my agenda. I'm going to wake up today. I want to be delivered from evil. Now, if you're like me, I rarely pray that, pray that prayer intentionally because I don't think I need that. I mean, I pray what I think I need, but I don't think I need constantly to be delivered from evil as if there's some boogeyman out there trying to get me. And part of the reason for that, I realize, as I'm doing my own reflection on this, is that I tend to define evil, in my own terms, as um, drunkenness, murder, abuse, uh, pornography, um, serious, significant gossip. Um, what else can you... Should we pick up I me? Mean, if I pulled the audience, you could help me right now. We could find a couple of other big evil things um, that we could do, you know, bombing random people. I mean, evil people, right? But I don't need that because, frankly, I can avoid that. Why do I need to pray for what I can choose to avoid? So I don't, I don't need to pray for that. I'll just avoid that. All right, now what's on the docket for the day? All right, now you have to ask the question, does evil really exist? In our post-enlightenment world, and I would argue that when you talk to your friends at school or when you're talking to your peers at work, it would be an odd conversation to talk about evil. Almost as if there's some spiritual realm. Is that what you believe? A spiritual realm of evil? Is that what you're saying? Do you not understand in this world that science has the answer? The spiritual realm doesn't. I mean, we are in a post-enlightenment world, right? And so we've come to learn that things that we used to blame on evil forces now have to do with simply the way that the sun organizes our universe. It has to do with our greater understanding of science. We can explain away evil. We can explain away disease and sickness. Well, the reason that people got sick and died is they didn't have medication. Now, what we used to blame on evil spirits, take a couple pills, you're good to go. Here's the problem, of course. If we believe in spiritual good, that is, if God, like these songs we sang this morning, if God is involved in my life, then I'm talking about spiritual good. I also have to talk about spiritual bad. If God is going to be involved and I want him to be involved and I believe there's a spirit realm where God is involved and the Holy Spirit is involved in my life, I also have to acknowledge that there can be evil forces that work against God. And so in this sense, evil is very much a part of our day-to-day -day existence. The evil one or the evil desires of the kingdom of evil does indeed work regularly against the good of a heavenly father who wants to do good things in your life and in mine. Now that can sound kind of strange, but I don't know how else to see it. So what is the goal, though, of evil? I remember uh, listening to a couple podcasts, and I just want to reference that right away, because I'm grateful to Adam Young and Dan Allender for some of their thinking in this space this morning. I just want to say that and get that out of the way. But was, you think about evil, I want you to think this way, that evil, in John 10, Jesus says that evil comes to steal and kill and destroy. Evil has come to steal and kill and destroy, to steal and take and destroy the goodness of God in the kingdom of God, present in your life and present in mine. 
And in John 8, 44, Jesus says there that Satan is the father of lies. It's very important to understand that. That we're going to talk this morning about lies and deceit, but that Satan, or the evil one, is the father of lies. In 1 Peter 5, 8, we read there that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so evil is pictured in the scriptures, in the New Testament, as something that is very active, prowling around, very active on a daily basis, looking for people whom it can deceive, hurt, wound, steal, take the goodness and glory of God from on a regular basis, a daily basis, if you will. So how do we think about evil? I want to suggest this way, this morning, this thing, that evil, evil seeks to accuse and deceive us. I want to talk about this part of evil. Evil seeks to accuse and deceive us. In Revelation chapter 12, we read about the deceiver. We read about Satan being described in this way, being one who accuses and deceives. And so in this prayer, and here's why I'm going here, in this prayer, when Jesus says, deliver us from the evil one, I don't know about you, but I often are like, that's a neat prayer. That's cool. I'm glad Jesus said we should pray that way. But I'll just avoid all the evil stuff. I mean, I might see it on TV, but I don't really embrace what does this actually mean? Because I'm going down my side, you might be going down yours, but all of a sudden someone like a Jake shows up and says, you know what I want? Will you pray for me because I want it to be fun and safe? And all of a sudden, this prayer shows up and says, you know what, let me pray for you because you need to be delivered from the evil one. We all do, but no one says it. But someone needs to say it and pray it, lest we miss that we actually need it. What does it mean that evil seeks to accuse and deceive us? Evil will seek to, first of all, accuse you. I want to talk about this one that will seek to accuse you of sin. And I don't know if you remember, but in Romans 8, we read there that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And here's what that means. That the, when evil seeks to accuse you of a sin, what evil seeks to accuse you of is largely immaterial. If you've done something wrong, if you've lied or cheated, or if you've been accurately or inaccurately accused, it doesn't matter in this sense. What matters is what evil is trying to get you to believe. They're try evil is trying to get you to believe that you are now under condemnation. That you are now under the condemnation of the law. You are now under condemnation of God. They are accusing you. You blew it here. Here's how Adam Young puts it. He says this, the purpose of bringing accusations is so that you will labor under the weight of shame. If I could sit across the table and ask you, let's talk freely, if we could, and if you felt safe enough with me to do that, and I were to ask you how much shame you have felt over the sins that have been besetting you, if you will, the anger that you deal with, maybe the porn addiction that you haven't been able to talk about, maybe the struggle with addictions that you are keeping just below the surface, the, the, the frustration, <laughs> the rage, the fear gossip, the insecurities, the things that are fighting against you with incredible regularity, the purpose of bringing accusations, evil brings it so that you will indeed labor under the weight of shame, and you will forget Romans 8 that says there is now no condemnation. You're guilty of sin? Okay. You're a believer? Then you're not condemned. Evil, get this, evil 
is your accuser, but it cannot condemn you. Very important. Evil can accuse you, but it cannot condemn you. Not if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. The cross of Christ has given us freedom from sin, and that means freedom from the condemnation of it. You can be accused of it without falling under the condemnation of it, which is beautiful and hard at the same time. I want to give you some examples of accusations that sometimes we hear throughout our day. Let me make this very specific. Sometimes we hear things like this, and this, is a, this helps me bring it down to the ground. Sometimes we hear in our own mind, I am such a bad mom. I am so incompetent. I am so indecisive. I'm not working hard enough. I'm dangerous. <laughs> Meaning I can hurt relationships. I'm too much. I'm too much. They can't handle me. I'm too much. I'm too emotional. I'm too sensitive. Or I'm overweight. These accusations that come at you and bring with them shame. And you live as if they're true. You live under the condemnation of them, like, yeah, that is what I am. That is how I function. Isn't that true? You may want to ask yourself how old these accusations are. How long have you been living under the weight of them? How long have you heard these things about yourself? Because almost all the time, the accusations that evil uses against you have a root a root in your heartache or your pain that is out of your times of pain where you've tried to make sense of the world where evil has accused you say this is this is your fault uh, they found out about that about you that's why you got fired that's who you are you are a bad mom your kid was sick for days you didn't even know it you don't even want to get up in the middle of the night to help them. you're faking it you're faking it everyone around you knows it accusing 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 live under shame live under shame and this is what evil does with great regularity constantly accusing you and these just feel like if i can axiomatic truths it's almost like yeah yeah this is true this is me how can you tell the difference between conviction of sin and an accusation of evil because conviction of sin is right and good an accusation of evil is wrong and seeks to destroy the image of God in you. How can you tell when what you're hearing is a conviction of God or an accusation of evil? It has to do with tone. The kindness of God leads us to repentance. We experience conviction when we see, like the prodigal son, a loving father come running to us before we've had a chance to verbalize how much we hated ourselves for what we've done again we see with surprise the joy and delight of a heavenly father running to us to say in the middle of your addiction i'm here to save you all right i love you here the condemnation i've already taken care of on the cross i am telling you you have something wrong but i'm running to you as i'm telling that to you the accusation of evil says you've done something wrong feel it Feel the shame. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. It presses you down and steals your joy in life. That's the accusation of evil. Evil also deceives. It deceives. It deceives this way. It deceives into making us make, put it this way, making agreements with life. 
if you've had a bad relationship, you might tell yourself, listen, I'm too much for people. <laughs> they can't handle me. I, I'm too much. And so I'm just going to agree with the fact that I'm, I'm too much. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back away. I'm going to agree with this message that I, people can't handle the true me. Maybe, maybe you're a, you're a woman in a man's world and you feel like you can't be fully yourself because these men around me can't control that. They, they, they can't handle the full me. And so I'm going to need to back off and I'm going to agree that I can't fully be myself and maybe, God, you just you know, gave me something I shouldn't have had. And I'm just going to agree with that for a long time and sit in a lesser version of myself and I'm going to agree with this. I'm going to agree with this. What do agreements look like? Adam Young put them this way and listen to these. He said, if you ever told yourself this, no one really cares if I'm hurting. I'm my own worst enemy. I'll never get over this addiction. If you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. I am too needy. My wife is never going to respect me. I'm too much for any man to handle. I'll do whatever it takes to be chosen. There's something wrong with me. My anger is never welcome, and so I'll hide it. In order to avoid the pain of not being hurt, I just won't tell someone when they hurt me. My husband will never change. And when there's relational conflict, it's always my fault. You see the diversity of ways that we agree with the evil one? Say, oh, that's, yeah, that's just the way the world is. It's me. It's us trying to make sense of our heartache, and in the middle of our pain and heartache, we are given a message. We are deceived into making an agreement that says, yeah, that's the way the world is. In Barbados, years ago when I lived there, we had a youth gathering at our home, and out in the back we had a big back. We had a, we had a front cement and a back cement. We didn't have yards. We had a front cement and a back cement. And in the back cement, um, we had a shed that was there, uh, an out, anyways, a shed. Um, cement walls and tin roof. Uh, and the door uh, was kind of um, uh, swollen sometimes. Like sometimes when you closed it, like you couldn't actually get it open for a while. So... One time we had uh, the youth group over, uh, maybe 10, 15 people, and I just impulsively, um, one of the guys went into the, the shed, and so I'm like, this will be fun. And so I, I closed the door while he was in there. It was brilliant. Well, of course, it was one of those times when we couldn't open the door again. And so what I thought would be funny, I remember to this moment the shame I felt for doing that to this very moment. I remember wishing like anything that I could undo this simple thing of closing this guy in there because now instead of what was funny, this is turning out to be shameful for him and also for me. And so what I heard in that moment is, Tim, the unfiltered version of you can cause harm to people. Draw back. Filter. Don't be impulsive anymore because that version of you can hurt people. And it's an agreement that I made like, yeah, that's right. And for decades, those things get reinforced over and over and over and over again. Some people who know me know when you actually are free, Tim, you are, get this word, fun. But over the years, those messages come too strong and too deep because there's, in the moment of heartache, 
the evil one comes in and sits there and says, let me accuse you of something, sit under the shame of it, let me help you learn how to make sense of your world, and I'm going to give you now a principle so that you can orient yourself to the world. This happens in spousal arguments all the time. Sometimes a wife will be arguing with her husband, and she will come to the realization in her own mind, and she'll tell herself, and this is how you know, by the way, if you're dealing with something like this. If you have a message you tell yourself regularly to orient yourself, she'll say this uh, internally, he will never understand this part of me. There's an agreement. There's an agreement. And what it allows you to do is to escape that relationship and escape that moment. It allows you a back door. It gives you orientation to your world. And you just agreed with the evil one. Let me ask you, how in the world do you know that he will never get you? What gives you the right to have that perspective? Unless at some point in your heartache, you've agreed with the evil one to say, this has got to be true. He's never going to get it. And now, I'm out. Now I'm out. What do we do about this? What do we do about this? I want to encourage you in this way. First of all, because I think evil is so daily and so regular and isn't limited to all the bad people I see on TV, but is very much a part of my day-to-day experience, and I believe yours, very much a part of it. I want to encourage you, first of all, to name it. To name it. Not unlike Jake going down the slide, all right? You want to have fun, but life might make you afraid. Name it. What is it? What is it that you see? You say, you know what? This has been a part of my life. I see this accusation I see this agreement I made I I need I need to name this for what it is if there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ then the sin that you commit already 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 has been forgiven condemnation doesn't come with it evil is your accuser not your condemner secondly is this I want to encourage you to enter your story like my story of the youth group when I look back on that, I realize that moment, it's in that heartache and that pain where I begin to come to an agreement with evil, to say, no, this isn't true, but it is what makes sense to me, and I'm trying to make sense of my heartache. I want to encourage you to enter your story, to go back and say, where did this come from? Why is it that I feel, why is it that I feel like a bad mom consistently? Why is it that I feel so insecure? Why is it the indecision continues to get after me? What is it, and here's what you know, the things that you can't get through with counseling, with journaling, with enough prayer, the things that keep, that you're stuck on, those things about you and how you see the world, those are the things that need to be named and the story needs to be re-entered there. Where has this come from? In what moments have I seen this? Because this is the role of evil, to strip from you if you need, to steal, to kill and destroy the goodness of God in us. John 10, 10, John 10. And finally, I want to invite you to pray to have the courage to pray, to do what Jesus said. I want to pr- he wants us to pray for this. Not just to avoid evil of the big stuff out there. That's easy, right? Just avoid it. Just avoid it. Come on. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the day-to-day. I'm talking about inside me and inside of you. The work of evil to accuse, deceive, as the father of lies very much involved in your life and in mine. Here's what Jake said, by the way. He got into the water, just to finish this story. <laughs> he got into the water, and he popped up. And he's like, that was awesome. That was awesome. And he was so excited. And then he said this. He said, Dad, did you pray for me? 
And I thought in that moment, if I can put pause on the narrative, I thought, oh no, his dad is probably in trouble because, I, like, I didn't pray for him, I'll be honest. Like, I could have. He didn't ask me to, but I'm like, I could have prayed. But if I'm his dad, I probably would have been like, sure, sure, like, sure, whatever, like, sure, okay. Now what's his dad going to do? Because I don't know if I would have prayed for him, but, you know, let's see what his dad says. And his dad was like, I did, Jake. And I think he, I think he did. And then Jake said, I knew it. I knew it. I could feel Jesus helping me because I knew... Like, I knew it was uncomfortable, but there's a difference, you know, between being uncomfortable and unsafe. And let me encourage you. There is a difference between being uncomfortable and unsafe. Because what I'm inviting you to is to revisit parts of your story that are uncomfortable but they are not unsafe I'm inviting you to consider has evil accused you and deceived you into stripping a part of the glory of God from you to agree with it you are not enough you are condemned, you are under shame they'll never understand you yeah, you are a bad mom. Yep, you're overweight. And here's what that means. Those are accusations. Those are evil agreements. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When Jesus gives us this prayer, I don't think he gives it to us so that we can avoid all just the big evil stuff. I think he realizes day to day I have regular opportunities follow, to believe, to disbelieve. He says, I want, I want you to pray to your loving Heavenly Father to lead you not into temptation, but to deliver you from the evil one who very regularly wants to accuse you and deceive you into living less than what your life can be. Is it uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it unsafe? No. That is why I got this. Deliverance from the evil one. I don't want to live in Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us today as we consider man, just even this idea of evil. The word itself makes us want to push back. And, as we live in such a scientific world that even to talk like that sounds like we're uneducated and naive, as if somehow there's this evil force at work. And yet we know that you're at work, God, and so we can't have spiritual good without spiritual bad. And so we understand that evil is at work. And evil is at work regularly in us to accuse, to deceive, to tempt us to believing its lies about the fullness of life and the hope of Christ, to move us from hope and redemption and kindness, to move us to judgment and condemnation, that we live under shame with such regularity. We come to agree that, yeah, we are. <laughs> we're indecisive. It's just who we're always going to be. We're never going to be that great a leader because that's just that's who we are. And we have stories to prove it, to back it up, going back decades sometimes. That sometimes, if we're honest, actually long-term agreements with the evil. So, Father, we're talking about some hard stuff today. But I pray that you would give us the courage to hit the slide, and to be like Jake, to talk about it, to verbalize it. We want to have fun, and we want to be safe. 
we know it's going to be uncomfortable. But I pray that you'll be with us on the slide. To re-enter our stories with courage. To learn and walk together. Deliver us. 